Are you craving incredible song recitals? Are you interested in a behind-the-scenes view into professional song making at the highest levels of artistry? Are you looking to develop your own artistic and entrepreneurial skills as a classical musician in this ever-changing 21st century landscape? If you found yourself saying yes to any of those questions, look no further than Cincinnati Song Initiative's week-long program, The Fellowship of the Song. Taking place this year from May 19 through 26, The Fellowship brings together some of the country's brightest song performers and teachers for a week of classes, concerts, and study events. And we invite you to join us as an auditor, either in person in Cincinnati or online wherever you may be located. When you join the fellowship as an auditor, you gain instant access to the entire week's events and can go back and relive the magic through HD video recordings of each and every session. To learn more about this incredible new opportunity, visit CincinnatiSongInitiative.org slash audit. Hey everyone, I'm Laura Lavoir, and this is Song Cycle, where we talk about song's history, its creation, its performance, and its ability to keep us connected through stories. In this episode, I am talking with Alan Periello. Alan has an entire wardrobe of hats that he wears constantly. He is a collaborative pianist, a coach, an artistic leader, an arts administrator, a mentor, And on top of that, he's truly a delightful, wonderful, and kind human. Especially for putting up with me for an hour. I feel like this, along with many recent episodes, was a particularly timely one for me, and it spoke to me on a bunch of different levels, and I hope it will for you too. Alan and I talk about the gifts and joys of the different parts of being involved in music, Gratitude towards the people who helped us along the way in our careers, the power of song to tell our most important stories, giving yourself permission to be who you want to be and what you want to do, and overall, some good life and investing advice. Welcome, everyone, to the season finale episode of Song Cycle. I'm really, really pumped about today's guest. Um, He is a music director, an arts administrator, pianist extraordinaire, and overall just wonderful human. Today, I am sitting with the one and only Alan Periello. Hello, Alan. Hey, Laura. How are you? We're hanging in there. We have our wine. We're on Zoom. It's raining outside. It's a great day. A rainy day, but we're making it a bright, cheery evening here. Exactly. Seeing your sunshiny face definitely helps. So, Alan, we're here. The season finale of Song Cycle. How does it feel to be bestowed with this honor? (laughs) What an honor. What a privilege. Uh, I'm humbled at this opportunity. Um, No, (laughs) Arguably the best offer you've ever had, right? (laughs) Right. The best way to spend this evening with you and... Um, just talk about the things we love and the things we love doing. Love that. So Alan, for the good people who are listening to this episode, who don't know who you are, which I would be surprised if there are any, but for those of us, the people who are listening who don't know who you are, can you please tell the good people who you are? Well, we are talking today. I'm here in Indianola, Iowa, where I just moved about a month ago. I am now the director of artistic administration at Des Moines Metro Opera. I'm a pianist and vocal coach. Um, I hail from Gibsonia, Pennsylvania, which is just north of Pittsburgh, and um, have been working with singers and opera and um, collaborative arts since, really, I guess I was in the fourth grade. In a funny way, I, um, I started piano when I was in the first grade, and then I get farther in elementary school and my music teacher at my little public school says well do you want to be the pianist for our chorus concert and I didn't know anything but to say yes and so who knew it's like I started following a conductor when I was in the fourth grade and started sight reading and being around vocal music and singing and all of that so even though I had no idea what opera was as a kid Um, didn't see an opera until I went to college, didn't really know any solo singing repertoire until college. Singing and collaboration have been the foundation of my musical life. 
Can we just take a moment and just give a big old shout out to the elementary music teachers of the world? Right. Mrs. Olson, thank you. <laughs> Mrs. Olson, God bless. Because right. truly everyone that I know had that person, whether it was a music teacher or like a choir director or something like a piano teacher who was like, you can do this. You're going to be yeah. great. Let me go above and beyond for you. So Mrs. Olson, shout out to you. So you said the first opera that you saw was in college. What was your first opera? It was Die Fledermaus, actually. Oh. Um, it was a production at my undergraduate. I went to Ithaca College, where I studied piano performance and music education, because I thought I was going to be a high school choir director for my life. I wanted to be a good pianist and wanted to study solo repertoire, but never wanted to be a solo pianist. And I get to college and I'm making friends with lots of singers in my first couple of weeks and find out that they all need a pianist for their voice lessons. It's like, that sounds really cool. Um, I get to spend time with singers. I can make some money doing this too. I don't have to work in the dining hall. I'm going to get to like make music. That's really cool. Let's do it. I think and that would have been really fun for you to be it. I can't, a choir director, like, I'm just trying to picture it. And it's a very cute image in my brain. <laughs> well, and listen, I got my fair share of it. I, I did finish the music education degree. I did my student teaching. I um, was an assistant conductor with the Ithaca Children's Chorus. And uh, Janet Galvan, the artistic director, was my conducting teacher. And just an amazing program and an incredible foundation for me. But honestly, my education degree is what, what taught me how to be a vocal coach and so much of teaching me how to be now an administrator as well. Working with people, meeting people where they are, seeing what people's strengths are and what areas they need to grow in. And being a teacher and helping people has always been the center of what I do. And it's not necessarily what I thought it was going to be originally, but it's, it's still very much at the core of what I do. That makes a lot of sense. And one of the things that I kind of want to point out, but also kind of pivot into my next topic is I never majored in music education, but as someone who has worked in teaching, I can understand how you would have to have a, a lot of patience for other people and B, you really have to meet people where they're at and work on like building them up into what their potential is, what you see their potential to be. And so I think that's one of the things when you and I have worked together that I've really appreciated about you, but obviously has manifested itself in your career, career trajectory as well in a really cool way about how like, that's just one of those things that you have been gifted with, Alan, lucky you. <laughs> I mean, look, I'm a pianist. I look at the music on a rack, which is at an instrument that is tilted sideways. I'm not looking at the audience. I'm rarely memorizing music. And that's partly why I didn't want to be a solo pianist is just that terrified me of having to memorize all of that music. But being that support of singers who are staring the audience right in the face, especially in song, right? We're in usually smaller venues, the lighting is such that you can really see who you're singing to for the most part. And um, the vulnerability of that and the sheer preparation and courage to do that well, hats off to people who are gifted with that ability and that desire. And I wanna be supportive of that. Also, when you think about singers and especially those who sing classical repertoire, Often, many, not all, but many singers don't know that they have a voice suited to this style or the genre until later in their development. You know, pianists and violinists are so often starting preschool age, kindergarten, first grade, starting very early and building those musical skills and that music reading. And of course, there's many people that do have instrumental backgrounds, but then there's other people that don't figure out how to inhabit this gift they have until later on and are often feeling like they might be behind um, when they get to college or even to graduate school and find out, oh my gosh, I have this potential to do this thing and I have, I have so many other things I need to do now to do it successfully. Very few children that I know were singing German songs, you know, starting at age five or opera arias at age five, right? You know, 
but honestly, let's <laughs> let's get people learning the learning languages and at least being somewhat conversational in these languages earlier, right? I mean, that's totally. that was my that was my catch up was coming to languages much later in life and having to work much harder um, to translate and speak and let alone then dig into such rich poetry of a different era that comes with its own different grammar and understanding. Absolutely. So this is a perfect pivot point into my my first question, which I ask everybody, but what is art song and why is it important or relevant today? Art song, or I guess I often prefer to call it song and get rid of the art title before it, because often that makes it feel like this unattainable thing on a shelf that you can't reach. And no matter how big the step stool is, you're never going to reach that shelf. But I love, I love the power of song in what it's storytelling through, through the voice. And of course, most often we're going to associate with voice and piano and the simplicity of those two elements together simple really only in the fact that it is two individuals. It can be complete, uh, extremely complex. It can be incredibly simple, can be everything in between. But this medium of telling a complete story or expressing a complete range of emotion in a compact time period. I like to think, you know, what the pressure of somebody that is tasked with writing a commercial for television, right? You have 30 seconds, you have 60 seconds to tell your story, to make your pitch, um, to convince somebody that they need this or make them feel something. Of course, we have, song can be broader than that, but when you compare it to the like the operatic form, song is putting that into a much denser period of time, which smaller forces, right? A, a singer and a pianist. Totally. And I, I love what you said about not necessarily simplicity in form, but sort of simplicity in the, in the, the orchestration, right? It's typically yeah. two people or fewer, <laughs> right? And one of the things that I really want to hone in on that you said that I think is really important is the timing. And I think I, I talked a lot in sort of earlier episodes about how art song differs from opera. And that was kind of one of the big things is like, you have to tell a complete story in less than three and a half hours, right? Right. So as we're kind of going into that, it seems opera is this big sort of behemoth storytelling vehicle. It's like the Mack truck of the musical storytelling world. And like, I don't know, art song rolls in and it's little, you know, penny farthing or something. I don't know. Why is it a penny farthing? I, I, don't, I, know. I don't know, but, but it, it's... <laughs> But the, the, the vehicle of song, it is more flexible, it's more portable, it's more intimate. And of course, opera can also be that too, by the nature of what it is, tends to be on a bigger scale and more forces to work with. Yeah, Absolutely. And so on that, one of the things that I wanted to bring up with you is why do you think or why is art song relevant today within those sort of parameters of it being flexible and more intimate. Um, and this is like, Your Honor, this is a leading question. But like, especially with everything that we have going on in the world right now, I feel like it would be longer, it would take a much longer time to write an opera about the war that's happening in Ukraine right now than it is to write an art song. So can you talk about a little bit why um, art song might be continue to be relevant there's an immediacy to what can be done with two people in a moment and can be done anywhere can be put together very quickly or not quickly maybe a little bit more easily <laughs> it's going to take some time to prepare something well right but that in the power of the voice the power of the individual voice the ability for that performance to go any number of places to happen, any number of ways to be videoed, to be recorded, to be shared in so many different ways. There's a great flexibility for the power of a song or power of a poem or power of an individual composition to reach a broad audience in a very readily accessible way. Absolutely. You said something that I wanna go back to 
um, because you are, well, you started off at the tender age of what, nine? Your little collaborative pianist career. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, you said that art song really highlights through storytelling and all of that, the power of the individual voice. And my brain immediately was like, of course, the singer. But I want to harken back to what you said earlier in the episode where you said that one of the things that you love to do as a collaborator and as a pianist is to support the singer and the poetry and the music that's happening. So what about that supportive role appeals to you? Or why do you think it's important? Because like, I mean, there are songs written for unaccompanied singer, we could just go on out there and do it ourselves. But like, what, what is the role of the pianist in all of that? Because I would argue that it is equal voicing between two people instead of just the singer like the pianist goes out there and performs too y'all have to learn more notes than we do no i agree no i absolutely agree with that and i think it's just amazing to get into try to get into the thought process of why a composer makes the choices they do in telling a story um how do they reflect the text um what is said what is unsaid what elements of the story live more in the singer's world, what elements of the story live more in the pianist's world when it comes to atmosphere and texture and dialogue, as it were. And then seeing what these composers can do um, as masters of their craft in bringing out all of the things that a piano can do as an instrument itself and how that can work together with with a voice and different voices too, you know, different voice types, different ranges, different, of course, then different languages and everything we explore. But I love seeing how the storytelling is handled through the piano, through um, the relationship between the two lines and, you know, different composers handle things in different ways um, in that relationship. Um, one element may be more subservient to the other at times and other times it is completely cohesive and I think it's it's a fun challenge to see how much of that one can explore and make choices with too. I think there's, you know, with song and song performance, there is of course honoring what the composer has done and, and honoring the storytelling, but there's also a great deal of flexibility and a great amount of individual input to say this is how we're going to tell this story because we don't want it to just be a museum piece we don't want it to be this again this unattainable thing that we're just trying to do it like how we think it should be well let's tell it with our souls and our hearts 100 percent, and i love that tell it with our souls and with our hearts because i think that going through academic institutions we learn a lot yeah and for me personally, I felt a lot of pressure to be like, okay, I have to do exactly what's written in the score, exactly the way it would have been performed in 1889 or whatever. And with that perspective, even though as you know, a human or something, I should theoretically have life experiences that also will inflect how I perform that or how you perform that, right? I feel like Debussy's Ariette Oublié hit a little different you know, at age 30 than they did at age 18. Oh, absolutely. Just saying. Yes. Yeah. So. And what a gift and what a privilege for us to come back to repertoire that maybe we look at at one point in our life and then come back to again and see what our life experiences in between have done to affect how we tell that story and how we think about that text and that music. One of the joys of getting older, right? Right, yes. <laughs> uh, so... I want to take this and pivot a little bit, speaking of getting older and revisiting the times of our youth. Um, so you have had so far as a young person, a very robust career in many different aspects of music. You have performed, you've coached, you've taught, you have led arts organizations, you work in arts administration. Can you talk a little bit about those transitions? Like, I feel like you have moved through those things so fluidly and with such grace and flexibility. Like it's never been like, okay, well, I'm giving up on the piano and I'm only doing arts admin. Like you've managed to balance all of those things really well. Teach me <laughs> one and two, like how has that been for you over the course of your career and like coming into your new position in Iowa and everything? 
Yeah, I think, again, just that element of stumbling into what I do in a way has, I think, always taught me to be in the moment and enjoy the surprises along the way and be open to any number of possibilities. I mean, I'd have to say that I didn't feel like I was looking for the job that I'm in now before it appeared. It appeared, it looked great. It had that gut feeling of this feels like it could be really good for me. Um, And that's where things have ended up. But at the core of it, um, I love playing the piano. I love singers. I love singing. I love the music for which all of that exists. And I want to be a part of that in whatever, whatever presents itself as the best thing in the moment for me. Again, having no idea that this all existed when I was, what, 17 or 18. There's so much of it that continues to be, I don't know what will exist in a few more years even. Um, I can set goals. Of course, I have goals. I have wishes. I have things that I want to do. And I think some of those goals and thoughts steered me into making this transition. But I think being, being present and really taking honest stock of where you are and what you're feeling and trusting that gut, that gut feeling is there for a reason, has, I think, helped it be such a smooth thing and just enjoying the unexpected. I mean, we have no idea what tomorrow is, right? Um, No, this was a, a fun surprise. And I look forward to continuing to be surprised. Do you find that as you have moved, I would say, at least since I've known you, you have occupied a primarily arts administration role. Um, Have you found that you've been able to balance out the performance opportunities that you wanted in addition to your teaching and coaching and the arts admin? Bluntly, no. So, (laughs) and that is honestly part of this transition for me is, um, you know, the last five years were absolutely amazing with Minnesota Opera and the Glimmerglass Festival and the opportunities I had with those two companies. What got a little bit lost in the fray was um, my one-on-one time at the piano and my time to be performing this repertoire that I love. I've been part of great opera productions. I've been part of putting together lots of repertoire with lots of amazing people, but very little of that has been putting together a concert with one or two people in a varied program of amazing repertoire. And part of this transition is to give myself a little bit more space for that. I think that's so important to talk about because, and I will say right now that I am going through a very similar thing, but I think it's important to recognize that like things might be going great. Life might be peachy keen. You know, you have a great job. You're working with, you know, two amazing companies with Minnesota Opera and with Glimmerglass, but just having that time to be like, okay, this is going really well, but is it actually a balance of what I want to be doing and having the courage to sort of say, maybe not. And then opening yourself up to those opportunities. Like you said, that kind of, to quote the title of a CS Lewis, what kind of surprised you with joy. Right. And all of a sudden you're like, I didn't know that I actually needed more time with the piano at the piano, or I needed more time one-on-one with singers, or I, just really want to put together some concerts. And I haven't had the opportunity to do that in the last five years. And so like, I just maybe I'm just personally looking for validation here. But like, what kind of told you, like, okay, this is all right to do and sort of accept about like, things might be going okay, but maybe they could be better. What what was that like mindset for you? Yeah, I think it is, again, that trusting your gut of doing what is ultimately going to be best, best for you, best for myself. Um, I think the pandemic for so many of us made space to stop and think about things and check in on where we were. It made us all put our foot on the brake to some degree with what we do, particularly in the arts and as performers and musicians. And as we are coming out of that time, and of course, seeing many other people take those brave steps of making changes for themselves, again, that gut feeling of, okay, this is going to be okay. This feels like the right thing to do. And then just being, being gracious and supportive through that process. You know, I've 
I don't want to leave anybody in a lurch at the places that I have been and been done my best to be as helpful as I can in those transitions and share as much information. And um, I keep telling people, it's like, there's no secrets. If I didn't tell you, it's because I forgot. So just ask. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and especially having gone with two very intense things for a while, it's like, okay, there's going to be some things that don't always come to mind when we're having our debrief conversations or looking ahead. So please just reach out and don't feel bad about it. And in this case too, I had a relationship with this company. I was on the music staff here for six summers earlier on and have a, a good sense of the company and the place um, and the team. And I, I hope it's a great fit. I hope it goes well. And let's see where it goes. I love that journey for you. I really do. I think so many people, and I've had this conversation with so many people who are musicians or artists who have gone through, you know, just hell and back again during the pandemic, both with career up and downs and not really knowing what life was going to look like for us post pandemic. And I realize even now on March 22nd, we are not post pandemic yet, right. but just allowing yourself to take inventory, take stock kind of a where you are. And it's like, okay, well, if everything came back today just as it was in the before times is that exactly what i want and i think a lot of people were afforded the opportunity to be like okay maybe maybe not and i know for me personally that has been a huge gift to be given that time to sort of figure those yes. things out i know for some people it's been very stressful um it has led to many tears because they're like but i've been told this is what i'm supposed to do forever why am i all of a sudden moving towards something else yeah. And that's, I, I sure hope that that culture is shifting. I think it is, but it is hard. It's easier said than done for somebody to accept that for themselves. Right. And I think we all have to define what success is for ourselves and also know that um, you can be an artist, you can be a singer, you can be a musician simply by saying that you are and not necessarily on the number of things that show up on a resume or how what the calendar looks like on a website or any of that. Right. I am a pianist. That is part of who I am. Am I playing eight hours a day every day? No, absolutely not. Also, is that what I want completely? Not fully. Again, I think for me, this transition is swinging the pendulum back in a direction to include a little bit more of that in the balance. I think so. Bear with me here, but I watched a seminar today on asset allocation and diversification in stock portfolios. <laughs> yep. But what you're saying really reminds me of like what you have to do, like when you are managing your money, you have to, and like you have it in the stock market, you got to check like at least once a year to see what's happening. See if like the things that you've put your money into are like causing more stress and risk or if they're not or if they're underperforming. And I feel like the panda, all of us as musicians are like constantly striving for this whatever perfection or whatever like success or making it in giant air quotes is that we forget to check in on our investments once a year and just make sure everything's kind of performing as it should. Yeah. And I think the pandemic finally gave us all that opportunity to just check in with the investments. Totally. And rebalance. Yeah. I'm mad at myself for bringing that up. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. no, but that's so real. <laughs> so as we're talking about going through transitions, the pandemic, just general transitions that happen in life, challenges and things that come up. Can you talk about some of the challenges and rewards that you've experienced in the various facets of your career? Yeah, I set a very high standard for myself. I've had great mentors and great training and great experiences that then also set a very high bar for what I feel that I can achieve and I've been shown that I can achieve and do. And the challenge of living up to that on the day-to-day -day with everything else going on, you know, as part of a job, as part of life, that is certainly an ongoing challenge of, it's like, how do I, how can I do my best work when faced with 
okay, this surprise of something we have to get done really quickly, or we there's this casting change, or this opportunity fell through for the program, you know, all of the things that come down the line that so rarely it was is our perfect plan. Um, Let's not forget the general right. existential crises that attack us on the daily basis. Like. Right, and that, and really just st stopping ourselves and slowing ourselves, and I'll say myself, stopping myself and slowing down my process enough to just say, this is the thing I'm going to focus on right now. And really being a better single tasker. <laughs> you know, I think we so often learn how to be multitaskers, and um, but ultimately, you can't real like is multitasking actually a thing you know i think there's managing I'm in denial <laughs> right no but like there's there, we have to learn how to manage lots of things but then how do we be as present as possible when we are on that one particular task because thinking about getting a lot of things done doesn't get anything done right <laughs> and i live in that world that space a lot and that's a fight for me but gosh, then to come to a reward is when you have those moments where you really feel that you're in the moment and you sit down and say, no, I'm going to get this thing done. And even though I've been telling myself, this is going to be miserable, or this is going to take forever. Usually it doesn't. It's just, I need to clear out the space, clear out the cobwebs and just hone in on that one thing. That is certainly a reward when you see it's like, okay, I have really found that place of focusing on being in the moment and look at how it paid off. It's really refreshing to hear you say that particularly because a lot of times, and I'm not disparaging other guests that I've had, but when I say, you know, what are your challenges and rewards? They're like, oh, you know, I didn't win this competition or I didn't get this audition, but uh, it actually made room for, you know, another opportunity that came to be. And you're just sitting here talking about like, sometimes I just can't multitask <laughs> and that's a challenge. But like, yeah. I think so many of us deal with that on a daily basis it's like okay yes it's disappointing that you know i didn't get x y or z thing or it's great that i got x y or z yeah. thing but at the end of the day all of us are just trying to human a little better yep as artists and just as people and recognizing that all of us it's just it's wild to me how many singers and pianists i know who have those super exacting standards of ourselves like we are constantly pursuing excellence, whether it's, you know, how we lay our fingers on the keys or maneuver through Passaggio or, you know, yeah. send an email to someone, right. right? And I feel like for me, I kind of get in productivity paralysis at that point, because I'm like, right. I want to do this and I want to do it absolutely 100% perfect. And then I go from single tasking to nothing. <laughs> right. Like, that paralysis, that is so real, especially when there's so many balls and so many courts. It's like, okay, which ball am I bouncing right now? Yeah, so like, how do you do that? Because you have many courts, like you are doing, at least in my brain, successfully, you are maneuvering three facets of a career. You are teaching as a coach, you are performing as a collaborative pianist, and you are running arts organizations. So tell me your secret. Okay, well, first of all, sleep is a priority. You know, it's if if you're not rested, and you're not hydrated, then there's no help in getting it done. Um, you know, at a certain point of the day, you got to figure out how to shut things off, turn off the phone, whatever. Um, and I think that's honestly how, what keeps me relatively sane with all of it is um, just knowing that, you know, a, the day is done, there will be a new day. The sleep part's always been important for me, but the coming to terms with not everything that you have to get done in your life will get done in one day. Coming to terms with that um, is a big work in progress, especially with this transition and making that more important. In some degrees, that will be a little bit easier now that I am have my brain in one company and not in two, and then make that space for some more performing and more piano time. But I think we we have to be so careful with with these smartphones and these emails and all of these ways that we are, we can be and are connected at all times. Um, and just being okay with, okay, I see that notification. I acknowledge it. And you don't have my attention right now. You being that email or that person or that deadline. It's like, okay. And 
Well, that's just, again, that just honing in on the thing in front of you while everything is dinging and flashing around <laughs> it. <laughs> and I think just being honest with people about about that. And it's not that one thing is not more important or less important than the other, but just being honest about it and human about it. And an apology goes a long way and (laughs) right. And um, get into it when you can. And I think doing the work with integrity and honesty and humility then makes that all do much more doable. Everyone who's listening is going to get value out of what you just said. But what you just said resonated on a very deep level with me. So thank you for that gift. I needed that. And I'm very grateful to you and your presence for just giving me that permission. I needed that. I really appreciate you. So as we're talking about focusing in on things, single tasking, and being in multiple courts at once, and however many analogies that we've come up with, with the various facets of your career, what for you are the most fulfilling things in the various facets of your career? What are those things for you that kind of get you up every day and say, okay, we have another full day ahead. What, what gets you going? What fulfills you and feeds you in, in those various facets of your career? Yeah. Help empowering people to do their best work and setting people up for success. Yeah, I know that what we see on the stage or what we see in somebody who is leading is, you know, a lot of a lot of pressure and a lot of responsibility, but these people have incredible gifts and incredible um, opportunities to to make the big change, to lead the big change, or to to lead with your voice or lead with a leading role or you know, any, any opportunities of leading and seeing what people are gifted with and what, what they are tasked with and wanting them to have the tools they need and the structures in place uh, to do that as well as they possibly can. I, I guess that's, I guess, partly from my dad's side, he's an electrical engineer and it's all about structure and systems and putting things in place so that then you have a great product. In this case, we're not printing stainless steel, like my dad is working toward doing, but in this case, it is storytelling and connection and communication. And that makes me want to do a good job every day. But then also um, why I got into this in the first place is the collaboration and working with other people and building those relationships. And whether that is one-on-one in the coaching studio, uh, meeting somebody where they are that day with that song or that role, or figuring out how they're going to get from point A to point B for the gig or any number of things, just enjoying that presence in that process. I don't know if you need to hear this, but I always feel nice when people tell me that I'm doing a great job. So I'm going to tell you that you're doing a great job. (laughs) I feel like none of us hear that enough. Yeah. That what you do is so important. And I'm not joking when I say like, as singers, we need pianists. Yes, of course. But like, we need people like you who are kind of the servant leader types who, who are willing to like go in and meet people where they're at and help lift them up to where they can be. I think that is so, so incredibly important, especially in a field that has been dominated by by sort of a top down squish for lack of a a better term. And just sort of saying, you have to fit the role that I create for you, as opposed to, I'm going to lift you up to where I think you should be. Yeah, totally. And that's something that I have to always push myself to do is be making sure that I'm saying, you're doing a great job. And being that, that verbal presence, because that's something I feel and I believe. And sometimes I just, I think people are hearing that or are hopefully feeling that, but I'm not necessarily always verbalizing that. And that's something that I have to keep working on myself as a person is not just being there and being present and doing the good work, but also really verbalizing that I really believe you're doing a great job and I support you and let me know if you need anything. It's, it's one thing to say that at the beginning to somebody, but then you have to keep reminding those reminders. It's just like, 
when you do a yoga class, how many times are you told by the teacher to breathe in the class? In a voice lesson, my Or in gosh. a voice lesson, you know? <laughs> but just those basic things that need to be said over and over again, because those other voices in our heads can often overpower that simple voice that just says, take a breath, right? And while that is something that I'm always thinking, again, I have to keep telling myself, okay, I need to say this out loud over and over again, because people really need to hear that. I do not know what's happening in all of the voices in somebody's head, but if I need to be better about being that outside voice that makes those simple reminders. Absolutely. And it's kind of like you said earlier, how an apology goes a long way. So do simple words of affirmation. I feel like as performers, as musicians, as artists, we are, like you were saying, we have exacting standards for ourselves. We are our own worst critics, whether we're sitting at a computer sending emails to set up the gig or we're sitting behind a piano supporting, you know, a singer, whatever it might be. We have those voices running through our head that say, you're not doing enough. You're not doing this well enough. You are not supporting enough. You aren't moving fast enough or whatever it might be. But then if like someone just trots along and says, you know what? I really appreciate the work that you did today or you did really great in your voice lesson today or you've made a lot of progress on this thing and I just wanted to acknowledge that. Good job. That's three seconds of your day, which will leave someone like floating on air for like 24 hours. Totally. Talk about return on investment, am I right? right? Yes. <laughs> but I think that's something that we need to acknowledge just about ourselves and giving ourselves permission to say that we did a good job to ourselves, but also to other people, because it can also be really threatening when you're surrounded by people who are smarter than you, people who are more talented than you, people who have a fancier resume than you do, or a higher position than you to like recognize that they're doing a good job and they struggle with things too. Right. No, and that's the longer that I do this and the more I get away from in age and time from being a young artist or a student, I still very think of myself as a colleague and a peer to people of all ages. I don't think in the hierarchy, but when you're younger, so often all you do is see the hierarchy and feel the hierarchy. And the more that I can help people feel that it's not a brick wall between those levels, but that it is, that it's a playing field, even playing field. And that's just something that I have to keep working on myself. And I think all all people as they do whatever they do for a longer period of time at, I guess, what you might call a higher level, whatever that means. (laughs) You get a fancy promotion and a new title. We'll call it that. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) So as we're talking about, you know, your career, building it up, getting to where you are now, what are some of the things over that trajectory that have stuck out to you as either pinnacle sort of form, forming moments, formative moments, or people who we already know about Mrs. Olson, but, or, you know, people who, or mentors who have really helped get you where you are now? What are some of those memorable moments and people for you? One very interesting one who I've had very little immediate connection to in my life, but as I sit in the house that I'm sitting in here in Indianola, Iowa, until I can get into my new place, I'm staying in the house that was formerly owned by Robert Larson, who was the founder, general artistic director of Des Moines Metro Opera for I think it was 38 years he conducted and directed all of the summer productions in addition to an enormous teaching career, published publishing work. You know, we're all familiar with the Arias collections that Robert helped create, but he had retired from his work with the company um, shortly before I joined the music staff, but he was still very present attending rehearsals and performances in my early time here. He died just over one year ago now, but seeing the lingering work of Robert, you know, the first person that told me I should be an opera pianist, his name is Patrick Hansen. He's uh, now teaches at McGill University, but he taught at my undergrad at Ithaca College. Patrick went to Simpson College and was a student of Dr. Larson and would have learned how to work in opera from Robert Larson 
who was the was the owner of this house that I'm sitting in. So in a strange way, again, while there's not a direct, so much direct relationship, it's because of Robert's vision that operatic storytelling belongs everywhere. Robert chose instead of joining the music staff at the Metropolitan Opera to start an opera company in Indianola, Iowa. And look at what that vision has led to for so many people and just the where his reach has gone in the world of singers, administrators, instrumentalists, uh, just across, across the entire um, art form. People along the way, incredible teachers at my undergrad, Ithaca College and Cincinnati Conservatory, where I did my master's, Ken Griffiths and Donna Lowy and their work with me in the song repertoire. I carry those songlit class notes with me everywhere. It's kept in a precious box <laughs> and kept around for all programming needs. Um, has just served me so incredibly well. And I'm so grateful to them for our work in school, but also their support beyond school and how much they have meant to me since then. Also, in particular, to a uh, Tibby Plyler, or Sylvia Jo Plyler. She was um, on the opera faculty at CCM as a coach while I was there. And Tibby has this incredible way of helping people really learn music and really learn language and diving into the basics at the deepest level in a way that then empowers people to do their best because at their core, they are so so well-structured, so well-organized, so well-prepared. Tippy's teaching and methodology has been at the core of, of my own teaching. And when I auditioned for the uh, graduate assistantship at CCM, I had a vocal assistantship playing lessons and recitals, but I also had one in the opera department. And I'd played an excerpt of whatever they asked me to play. And the first question Tibby asked was, tell me about your family. And it wasn't about your music teachers or your music experiences. It was really wanting to get to know the person and where they came from and how that informs, informs who you are as a human being, that, that background. And I think that people first element of it is something I strive for um, in my continued work. So those are, of course, a handful of the most formative experiences and people and mentors but gosh we could we could do a multi-series <laughs> we all could right if we all took the time to talk about everybody that's been influential along the way and uh, what they meant to us then what they mean to us now what they'll continue to mean to us um so that's that's a very sparse few but it's all it's all about people, right? And those relationships that we build and maintaining those and you know, staying in touch and seeing how one thing leads to the other. Just again, that continuing to allow yourself to be surprised and be present for who you meet along the way. Yes. So Alan, as we're wrapping up here, are there any ways that the audience listening can connect with you? Do you have any projects, recordings? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a handful of old things floating around the internet if you want to find them. But um, no, coming up in just over a year from now, it's just recently announced, um, be doing a recital presented by the Philadelphia Chamber Music Society um, with uh, Joelle Harvey, soprano, and John Moore, baritone. We'll be doing in Philadelphia March 26th of 2023. One matinee only in Philadelphia, but I believe there's also going to be a streaming option of it. So really looking forward to that. And we're starting very soon to be talking about the program and getting our work done on that. Joelle is a dear friend um, and collaborator. We, uh, we met at CCM. Uh, she was a senior when I started my master's. I played her, uh, her master's recital and she sang on one of my master's recitals. We run the Marilla program together. We've done a number of opera uh, gigs together. We uh, played Wild Hall at Carnegie Hall in uh, 2019 together. So really looking forward to working with her again. And then John Moore, who a uh, baritone based in Minneapolis, actually was an alum of Simpson College and a Robert Larson student himself once upon a time. 
um, John, fantastic baritone who will be here at Des Moines this summer, actually, in the world premiere of A Thousand Acres um, by Kristen Custer and Mark Campbell. Did uh, Don Pasquale with John is actually my first show here at Des Moines Metro Opera, and we've never recitaled together. So I'm looking forward to uh, working with him and having the summer together to be working on the program. You know, actually, I knew we were going to be doing this program um, before the Des Moines job even came up. So now we have this coincidental blessing uh, to be working together this coming summer. But uh, in the meantime, it's a lot of planning for the summer season and uh, getting a house ready. Um, and I got a we piano. We won't talk about the carpeting. Yeah. The people <laughs> don't a, need to know. <laughs> it's just, I've got a beautiful house that has a lot of carpet that's got to go. So working on that. <laughs> And I have a piano that's going to be coming into the house soon that I'm really excited about. And is this a new a piano? New to me piano. <gasps> what yes. kind of piano is it? It is a Schimmel piano. Uh, the upright piano at my parents' house is a Schimmel. I'll make this relatively brief. My parents were hoping I'd want to take piano lessons, so they bought a keyboard when I was in kindergarten because they thought, well, let's not invest in a real piano unless we know that he's really going to want to do it. So after a couple of years of lessons using the keyboard at home, uh, they said, okay, it's time to get a piano. And my dad being the engineer that he is, he bought a book called How to Buy a Piano. And he read it cover to cover, learned all about the mechanics of pianos and where good pianos are built and where bad ones are built and decided we have to get a Schimmel piano. It is built very well. It's a German piano. And we drove four hours across the state of Pennsylvania to find this particular Schimmel upright piano. And it's great. And it's still in my parents' house. And when I saw a Schimmel piano come up on a Craigslist ad in West Des Moines, I said, okay, this is strangely fate. I'm going to get this. And it's a great piano. I can't wait to have it. Is it an upright or is it a grand? It is a grand piano. You have been truly blessed. Baby's first grand. Yes. Oh my gosh. Oh, I'm so excited for you. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, let's hope that everything with the piano moving goes well and successfully yes. and that it's it fits through the door, you know, yes. all of Future that. Future salon concerts in my living room. Here Listen, we go. I will get on the road and I will come down for that. Yes, so. please. Don't tempt me with a good time. Okay. Right. <laughs> I will be there. Let's do Unannounced. it. Good. <laughs> so as we're wrapping up, we like to close with a little piece of advice from our guests. So what do you have for me? I mean, this yeah. whole episode has been ad advice filled, but if you were to leave the guests with a little morsel, what would it yeah. be? Yeah. Well, this is definitely a, a borrowed piece of advice and it um, comes from Tibby Plyler, who I was talking about. And it's remember to blow out your breath. So often we are just sitting here holding stale air in our bodies and we don't listen well when we're not exhaling. So often when we're thinking really hard about something, we aren't exhaling. And I think we'll all be healthier people and better listeners when we remember to let out that air. I really do love that. I also feel like Gwen Coleman is somewhere listening to this episode laughing because she's <laughs> like, hmm, Laura really should do that. 